Hi, I'm Ginevra Leake, Editor-in-Chief of Elle Australia, and today I'm joined by two incredibly smart and knowledgeable finance experts, Bianca Harchi-Hazelman and Commonwealth Bank's Catherine Fitzpatrick, to talk about financial infidelity and what to know before mixing love and money. So Bianca, what is financial infidelity? How do we define it? It's a really good question. What you need to understand about this is that it can affect anybody and it's something you should be aware of when moving into a relationship, when you're in the middle of a relationship, it can happen across all life stages. So when one partner is making significant financial moves without the knowledge of, a, of another is what we'd think of as financial infidelity. So it endangers the financial future of people in the relationships, both people. It exhibits a disregard for the most fundamental parts of a healthy relationship. So that's destroying the trust and communication of that relationship. That's it, probably in a nutshell. And I guess that word communication is so incredibly important in terms of financial conversations with with our partners or loved ones. Catherine, how early is too early to have that financial conversation? Are we talking first date? Are we like waiting a little bit longer? Look, it's never too early to start, but obviously you need to feel comfortable about talking about money and people don't, particularly women and then people from other cultures as well where money could be seen to be a taboo subject. Mm-hmm. I think we've done a survey that shows that people would prefer to talk about politics and religion before they talk about money. So it is never too early to work out, how do I feel comfortable to have this conversation because a healthy relationship is also includes having a healthy money relationship. I think sex is up there as well. It's incredible to me that we can feel comfortable talking about our sex and relationship so much more than we can about our finances, our investments and our debt, Mm -hmm. particularly as women. So why is it so important? It's really important because people bring different perspectives and different experiences to a relationship, and that includes about money. So you might have different financial skills, you might have different expectations. So it's really important to lay the foundations and say, this is the way I think about money. This is what I need to feel independent and secure, because it doesn't matter how much money you have. Mm -hmm. Whatever money you have, if you invest it wisely and you save it wisely and spend it wisely, whether it's together or by yourself, it gives you choices in life. So it is really important that those differences are unpicked and untangled early on, particularly when you're in the throes of um, a really exciting start of a relationship, because when things get a bit rocky or get a bit difficult, as they inevitably do, regardless of whether you have a long relationship or a short one, you're setting yourself up with those foundations. Catherine, what are some tips for starting that conversation because we've spoken about how important those discussions are, but sometimes it's really hard to get into them or to pin someone down to have it with you. Yeah, I think the first tip is definitely to be proactive. So don't wait till you're having the argument. Take a deep breath. Think about a time when you're on a date night or whenever it is and actually make an appointment and say, this is the time I would like to talk about this aspect about money. So just stick to one topic. It doesn't have to be everything all at once and try and confine it to one topic. Manage your emotions as well. So it can feel really emotional. If you're talking between a spender and a saver, and I know I'm a spender, but sometimes I am a saver, 
and a shopper. I think I fall into all of those categories, actually. (laughs) But if you can manage your own emotions, know what your triggers are, think about the things that you'd like to talk about, which is writing down a couple of tips or a couple of points for yourself to keep you on track. Ask your partner to do the same thing because then that'll help really guide your conversation. Some of the things we think about as you're starting that conversation is think about it in terms of what's my money, what's your money and what's our money. So if you um, have some ground rules around that conversation too, like if it's starting to stray into somewhere that's getting a bit emotional or it's off the topic that you actually have set, bring yourself back in and then talk about it, framing it about this is how I feel about it, how what I want to achieve out of this conversation and this is how we need to think about what's ours, what's yours and what's mine because we all bring different things to the, the money relationship. That concept of our money is a really interesting one. And with my partner and I, we've sort of managed to, I guess, muddle our way through because we have the whole way through kept our finances quite separate. But recently, having been married and now we're looking at um, taking out a mortgage, all of a sudden there's sort of a necessity to merge things. When it comes to combining bank accounts, for example, is it a yes or a no? That's a really, really good question and really it boils down to personal choice. There are great advantages to combining accounts, whether it be transaction accounts or debt, and a home loan's a really typical one, obviously. Potentially you can get reduced fees. There is transparency around who's spending what in that joint funds, and then there's easier management of joint bills. So if you've got a joint transaction account, putting in the amounts that you can both afford and you agree those up front, it might not be a 50-50 split because you you might not earn 50-50 in the relationship or it might not be a 50-50 split because that's not how you want to invest in a home if that's one of your big investments. But you can then eat more easily manage some of those. But there are cons as well. So having all your eggs in one basket really limits your options if something goes wrong. And one of the things that you can do if something does go wrong and you do have a joint debt or joint account is you can ask that there's two to sign so there's still some transparency around around who's doing what with joint money. If you also have different preferences around money or your values, using a joint account can be a source of tension. I can see that you've spent X on Mm. shoes. I thought we were saving for a house that could be a little bit difficult. So you may want to think about how do you have the joint account and then how do you have your separate accounts so that you have your own money as well. But the thing is about a great money relationship, there's transparency, so you shouldn't need to hide the shopping bags. If you're really clear around this is what I spend my money on, this is how I like to spend it, this is what we spend our money on and this is what you spend your money on, then don't worry about the shopping bags anymore because it's really clear. Your partner also, in a joint account, your partner may take out funds or you may take out funds without your partner's consent or their knowledge. So we're going back to that conversation about financial infidelity. There is a secretive 
transaction relationship, but there could also be a, you just didn't ask, we didn't have the conversation, I'm feeling a bit blindsided about it. So that risk could increase if the relationship does break down. So what are some of the ways that we can protect ourselves against that situation? Because I don't think anyone likes to think that they'll end up there, but the reality is that it does happen. Yeah, it's really critical to have that conversation up front. And then even documented if it helps. These are the ground rules. And it's like in my house, on my fridge, I've got for the kids, here's the house rules. And they're really simple ones. Please don't have your screens in your bedroom. Be nice to each other, be kind to each other. They are rules that uh, we came up with together and they're on the fridge. They've been on there for five years and we keep coming back to them every year and they're right. And we all agree to them. Have your money rules up on the fridge. More often than not, one partner might earn more than the other partner. Um, One partner might have more pulls on their finances than the other one. How best to manage that situation and and does it have to be seen as being an unequal relationship? I I think what's really important here is we need to recognise that sometimes you take a career break. Women more often than men do. So there's going to be, there could be times where you're not earning a cent. I love the idea of joint bank accounts, but I love even more the idea of having your own money in a bank account. I think when you're in a relationship, having that joint account is really important when it comes to the household expenses, the goals that you share together that make life great. But at the same time, having your own money gives you that feeling that you have earned, that you have this money to spend, that you have this power, this control to live. So I think a combination of both, just first and foremost, is important in balancing a relationship. When you're not earning money or as much money, and there's always going to be times where one partner is earning more than others, men more so than women because they work full time, more so than than women, but, but we are seeing that dynamic starting to shift with the rise of female breadwinners, in fact. It's really important to communicate, to talk about that and to ditch the ego. I hate it when I hear people say, and I've certainly had this in past relationships, where it's put upon you that, you know, I earn more than you. It's this control kind of thing. You know, the financial decisions should be mine because I've got the power. That in a relationship is really not helpful, not productive. It's almost abusive, to be honest with you, when you're so belittling somebody because they're not earning as much as you or indeed they're not earning anything because they're caring for children and things like that. Those things need to be called out for what they are and ditch their ego around money. It's a, a relationship. Think of it as almost like a business. You can't go into partnership with somebody if you're not transparent, if you're not communicating. That's really important to equalising Um, the relationship to seeing both parties as equal. What I wanted to say there also is it's really important to set budgets to maybe, you know, if one person is earning the bulk of the income to be saying, right, well, we're going to put this amount into the joint account, that amount you you spend on what you, you need and blah, blah, blah. Be really clear about what the goals are and budgeting that together. And I think that's really important in equalizing as well. sexually transmitted debt. It's an issue. It doesn't discriminate. You can catch STD in your 20s 
through to your 60s, what are the red flags you need to watch out for? Yeah, well, sexually transmitted debt is real. I've written about this many times. It's something that unfortunately women tend to contract more so than men. So what is it? It arises because debt is not disclosed at the start of a relationship. You might go into a relationship where he or she has a lot of credit card debt, has mortgages or has numerous properties and debts up to their eyeballs, basically. And it's because one person hasn't taken full control of their finances and it's accumulated and you're kind of coming on board at a time where, you know, you might be looking at marriage, you might be looking at other things, and all of a sudden it's restricting the finances and your ability to participate in life. And it's almost becoming your problem as well. So have some makers or breakers, I like to think of them as, when it comes to sexually transmitted debt, um, your awareness of it. Don't ever hand over financial control of your life savings, your financial documents in blind faith that he or she knows better than you on money, therefore you control everything. When you do that, you just, you don't want to shut the door on your knowledge. It's really, really a risky play. So don't hand over financial control in blind blind faith ever. Have complete transparency. Even if someone in the relationship is better at managing money than you, remain engaged and be ensure it's transparent. Don't give up on your own financial dreams. I see this too often and it's because I tend to think, and I'm generalising here, forgive me, but women tend to put others before them. You give up on your own financial dreams. I'm saying don't. Keep them there. Signing over documents without reading them first, don't do it. You must read the fine print. If you don't understand it, ask your lender, ask a bank, ask somebody else, get third-party advice if necessary. Think of other people that you can talk to if you don't feel it's your partner. It's so important to ask, isn't it? Because so often you can just feel like you should understand and therefore don't want to appear stupid or, or like you lack knowledge. And so you kind of keep your question to yourself, but ultimately it doesn't get answered and then you're in the dark. Yes. Or you're, or you're that person in the relationship that that it's like, oh, well, they, they do all that. I just, um, I focus on the home front. Don't ignore your rights. Um, And this just taps into what I was saying before. You're entitled to independent third-party advice. If you've got into a relationship where um, sexually transmitted debt is there, where there's lots of credit card debt, seek advice, maybe suggestions for your partner to help them get out of that situation so together you can start to move forward on a, a more transparent and freer kind of relationship plan. I think that's really important too if somebody is in an unsafe relationship, if there is domestic and family violence or financial abuse, it might not be safe to have this discussion about money with their partner. So it's really important to go to someone that is a specialist Mm. who can then help provide that advice. We do see, unfortunately, customers who are impacted by domestic and family violence and we can see that they have taken out debt with a partner and the partner has then used that money for another purpose and then left them to pay the bill and to pay back the debt when they can't do it because their money is being controlled. They can't have that conversation because it's unsafe for them in the relationship. Mm. If you talk to any bank, they will help you to try to resolve that. But it is also difficult for us. So going to somebody that's independent to get some advice on how you keep yourself safe as well as keep your money safe is really critical. Absolutely. What about consenting joint debt? You know, we talked about a mortgage. That's obviously both partners coming into 
to a, a situation with eyes open and taking on, you know, usually what can be a large amount of money, but can also be quite a positive step in a relationship. What's worth remembering there? Well, I would say that make a decision about debt with your eyes wide open, regardless of whether it's joint debt or if it's by yourself. You might have um, greater borrowing power by combining your incomes and being able to get that considered in your application. And you should also be able to save on fees as well by having only one debt rather than than two debts or a, a different way of splitting that debt. And the same with credit cards. So if you have one credit card with joint credit card holders, you could save on fees that way too. But there are also some cons that you need to think about. So credit cards, if you are a primary credit card holder and you have a secondary credit card holder, it's not a joint account. The secondary credit card holder is just someone who uses the credit that has been given to you, which means you are solely responsible for that debt. I can see by your face, you're not not necessarily aware of that. So most people don't quite understand that, which is the other reason that you need to ask questions whenever you're seeking debt. Please expect that the bank should tell you or the financial provider should tell you it's not your job to understand it unless they've explained it really well. And obviously I would imagine there would have to be a huge amount of trust there in the relationship to enter into a situation like that as well. Yeah, there sure has to be trust when you have any relationship. I mean, that's the foundation of it, which is why the financial infidelity can take people by surprise. It's a lack of respect. Mm -hmm. But that's why sharing transparency and being upfront and having that voice in those discussions is really critical. Mm -hmm. So Catherine, another thing I think that maybe would take some people unawares is the fact that they are in a de facto relationship. Can you talk a little bit more into that and how it works? Yeah, well, when it comes to money and property settlement, when you've been living with somebody for two years, you are considered to be in a de facto relationship. And that basically means you have the same rights and responsibilities as you do if you were married. So what that means is that you can have the same claims over property and money. And that means that you are entitled to a proportion of that, depending on what you brought to the relationship and then how you've managed money and your assets and finances throughout the time of that relationship. So that then impacts how you might split your finances if you you unfortunately did have a relationship breakdown. I think the best option there is to seek independent financial advice, understand what your rights and responsibilities are, and then you, you can have peace of mind about how to protect your own financial assets and still have those great conversations. What's mine? What's yours? What's ours? Fantastic. I think we could keep on talking about this all afternoon. It's such an interesting topic and there's so much to learn. Thank you to Bianca and Catherine for joining me and thank you for listening and stay tuned for our next episode of Financially Fit. 